0: maybe we've got some students of English teachers in the house, a metaphor is a figure of speech used by poets and pedestrians alike. Time is money, the businessman says. I'm dead tired, the mom says. You are the light of my life, the love-stricken boyfriend says. You probably use metaphors more than you know. So a metaphor is a figure of speech that brings together two things that share something in common, but aren't literally the same thing. So the exhausted parent is not really dead tired. She's just really, really tired. So much so that the thought crosses her mind, this is probably what dying feels like. (laughs) Are you starting to remember the meaning of the word metaphor? All right, so the Bible... The Bible, the book of the church, is chock full of metaphors, including metaphors for God, images for God. There are hundreds of metaphors for God. We tend to focus on only three or four, like God is king, God is shepherd, God is father. Those are the popular metaphors for God that we focus on. But there are some less popular ones in the Bible as well. God as clothing, for example. In her book, Wearing God, yes, you heard that right, Wearing God, that's the title of the book of an author named Lauren Winner, and she brings out some of these underutilized metaphors for God. She has chapters that explore the biblical metaphors of God, God smelling, God laughing, God burning like a flame, God pictured as a laboring woman, All of that's in the Bible. Today's metaphor for God, though, is perhaps the most accessible of all. I think today we can relate to the metaphor more than perhaps any other. We may not be able to relate to God as king, right, because we're not used to what that's like to live under a king. We may not be able to relate to God as shepherd, how many of you uh, shepherds are part of your daily life? Not, not many. But today's metaphor, I think, will stick. Today's metaphor is God as friend. God as friend. What might it mean to be God's friend? The question then presents itself, am I a faithful friend or a friend? Fair weather friend? Do I prioritize my friendship with God? Or do I only call sporadically when something big happens? What might it mean to be God's friend? These are the questions we're going to explore this morning. And as always, our tool for exploration is Holy Scripture. We continue our series in the book of Exodus and we find ourselves in chapter. 33 verse 7. But before we read, let us pray. Maybe I'll make this prayer really long so Bob can fix the screen here. (laughs) Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, may we be so bold as to make this request. Speak to us today as one speaks to a friend. Show us your ways so that we may know you as you really are. And in knowing you, may we discover ourselves. We pray this in the name of the one who calls us friends. Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. It worked. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Click through to like slide three, Bob. Yeah, skip all that. All right, Exodus 33. Next slide. Starting with verse 7. Hear the word. Click, 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 slide. There it is. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Everyone who sought the Lord would go out into the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each of them, at the entrance of their tents, and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and bow down, all of them, at the entrance of their tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then he would return to the camp his young assistant, Joshua, son of Noon, would not leave the tent. This is the first part of our scripture reading today, and it's the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. The setting is a refugee camp. That's the closest equivalent we have to how the people of Israel were living during the time of our scripture text. God had recently rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and God had promised to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. If you don't like milk and honey, then imagine two of your own favorite foods. For me, it'd be peanut butter and chocolate. The Lord promised to bring them into a land flowing with peanut butter and chocolate. What an idyllic paradise. Now that's closer to the feeling that God's promise evoked this feeling of expectation, of hope, of longing. But presently, they are nowhere near the promised land. They were living in something like a refugee camp that constantly ran out of water. If it weren't for the miraculous provision of God, they would have starved to death in this camp. So, There's a contrast between the present reality and the promised future. Many of you have seen this contrast in your own lives, this stark contrast between present reality and promised future. But it's here, in this paltry present, that Moses sets up a tent outside the camp. In other words, he's making the best of it. Any of you like camping? Show of hands. Okay. Any of you like tent camping? Some hands go down, some stay. (laughs) Well, I like what comedian Jim Gaffigan says about camping. His wife always wants to go camping, and she tries to convince him by saying, camping is a tradition in my family. To which he responds, it was a tradition in every family before we discovered the house. (laughs) That's kind of my sense of tent camping. (laughs) I'll spare you the stories of Steph and I's tent camping experiences. One of them included uh, hail in South Dakota, but uh, I'll spare you those stories. But I do want to tell you about Moses' camping experience. I can almost guarantee that you've never had a camping experience like Moses. Here's what happened. Moses would pitch a tent outside of the central area where everyone else had set up their tents. This was a special tent. Presumably, it's not where he'd sleep, but it's where he'd go to get away from it all. Now, whenever Moses entered the special tent, crowds of people noticed something. They repeatedly observed the same phenomenon. It was a phenomenon that looked something like a cloud in the shape of a pillar or a column slide. Whenever Moses went in this tent, the crowds saw this cloud column, the crowds saw this cloud column, and they were amazed at the strangeness of it all. They were so amazed, verse 10 says, that whenever they'd see it, all the people would rise and bow down, all of them at the entrance of their tents. However, they could not exactly tell what was going on behind that pillar of cloud. They suspected it had something to do with God, though. The God who rescued them from slavery, and, if you were here last week, and the God who recently forgave them for their worship of an idol, the idol of a golden calf. Surely, they thought, surely this weird cloud thing must have something to do with God. There was one person that knew exactly what was going on in that tent, and his name was Moses. He's the one who gives the tent a name. He calls it the tent of meeting, or the meeting tent. And by all appearances to onlookers, Moses and Joshua, they enter alone, just the two of them. But when they get there, turns out they're not alone someone's already there, they are having a meeting with God. So he calls it the tent of meeting. Verse 11 sums up Moses' experience, his camping experience, with these words. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Let me ask, how does one speak to a friend? With intimacy, with interest, and with empathy. With intimacy, with interest, and with empathy. In a word, with love. Thus the Lord used to speak with Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. One scholar says, verse 11 points to a loving, trusting, and simple conversation between friends. What might it mean for you to consider yourself God's friend? I didn't have the deepest of friendships when I was a kid. I think it's kind of normal for a boy growing up... uh, my friends and I, they, we'd play sports together, we'd go to concerts together, we'd eat pizza together, we'd do all sorts of other shenanigans that shall not be named together, but conversations of depth were few and far between. That all began to change when I went to college, Hope College, and during my time there, I, I developed the sort of friendships that I think more closely resemble what our scripture is talking about. One of those friends is in the room right now. Can you guess which one? (laughs) Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Again, the question, how does one speak to a friend? Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and After the conversation, you walked away feeling completely and thoroughly loved. You felt like it was a safe space, so you shared some personal things that were on your heart, and your friend listened with empathy. As you were talking, your friend never once checked her watch or her iPhone. (laughs) Instead, she looked at you in the eyes with compassion. Your friend was so engaged in the conversation that it felt, like, it felt like you two were the only ones left on the planet, if only for the five minutes you shared together. Have you ever been in a conversation with a friend like this? I think this is closer to the friendship that Moses experienced with God. God. Now, after listening to you intently, your friend finally speaks up, and what she speaks is wisdom, but not in a judgmental sense, not at all. You can tell that your friend, that everything she says is only for your benefit and well-being. Sometimes, truth be told, it's not always easy to hear what she has to say. Sometimes there's hard truths to speak, but it's for your well-being, and it's in a spirit of love, and you know it. Your friend wants nothing but the best for you, and so she speaks. She's not just looking for an opportunity to air her opinion or to feel morally superior, but she speaks only that which builds you up in love. Have you ever had a friendship like that? Have you ever had a conversation like that, and you walk away with that feeling? You walk away feeling completely known and perfectly loved. I submit to you today that this is what it means for God to be your friend. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And thus the Lord speaks to you as one speaks to a friend, if you are in fact willing to accept God's friendship. But what do I know? On what grounds can I confidently say that God has the same sort of relationship with you that God had with Moses in the Old Testament? There are reputable theologians through the ages have said the same thing I'm saying. People like Irenaeus, Gregory of Nyssa, and Thomas Aquinas. If those names mean anything to you, I suspect to most they don't. (laughs) But they all all spoke of us as friends of God, not just just the biblical heroes being friends of God. There's a guy named Theodoret of Cyrus, a fifth century bishop, and he said this, click, he said, friendship with God is the entire goal of the Christian life. Friendship with God is the entire goal of the Christian life. Now, if none of these old people mean much to you, then how about, how about Jesus? What does Jesus of Nazareth say on the matter? He says this, "'I no longer call you servants,' Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Do you consider yourself a friend of God? But God is so different from me, you might object. We have nothing in common, it seems. God is so pure and holy and perfect, and I am so not those things. It's true, none of us deserve God's friendship. I sure don't. Hi, my name is Brandon, and I am a sinner. <laughs> Hi, Brandon. Hi, <laughs> My guess is you are too. Yes, you too, Larry. I heard you speak up. <laughs> as such, as people who are so unlike God in our, in our character, in the quality of our, of our character and our love, as such, we don't have what it takes to be God's friend. Nevertheless, God's friend request pops up on our feed. Nevertheless, God invites us into the tent of meeting. Nevertheless, Jesus, the one who notoriously spends time with sinners, prostitutes, and all the other people that society deemed unapproachable, Jesus spends time with them, and Jesus calls us friends. How can this be? Theologian Mindy Macant tells us how. She says, Jesus makes it so. (laughs) Jesus calls us his friends, and just as Genesis, the first book of the Bible, just as Genesis reports that God's speaking makes creation so, Jesus' words that we are his friends make it so. This is what's called grace, my friends. Say that word after me, grace. There's a shortage of it in the world today, so so much so that I wonder if we've forgotten its existence. It's a thing called grace, getting what we don't deserve. By the grace of God, 1,500 years after the pillar of cloud descends on the tent of meeting, God the Son descends on earth in the person of Jesus. While on earth, Jesus lives, forgives, heals, dies, and raises from the dead. Why? To give us access to the tent of meeting. It's Jesus who lets us in the tent. It's Jesus who builds a bridge where there was once a barrier to friendship with God. So picture once more the refugee camp. The crowds have risen to their feet and are standing at the entrance of their tents. They are perplexed at the spectacle before their eyes, this phenomenon of this cloud-like pillar hovering over the entrance of this special tent. Now imagine this. Here you are, standing outside of one of these tents. Imagine a man named Jesus Traveling around from tent to tent, he looks like he's handing out tickets, tickets of admission. He gets to your tent and asks, would you like to see it for yourself? What do you mean, you reply? Would you like to enter the special tent and meet with God face to face? Here, this ticket will get you in. Well, how much is it? It's free. Certainly, it must cost something to enter the holy and mysterious presence of God. Well, yes, it cost a great deal, but don't worry about it. I've got you covered. This is the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ. This is is what we mean when we say gospel, good news. It's undeserved universal access to friendship with God through Jesus. So how do you respond? You're at this tent, strange man Jesus walks up to you. How do you respond? Do you take the ticket and run with it right into the tent of meeting to consider and to see and to learn what it means to speak with God as one speaks with a friend? Or are you a little too frightened at the thought of seeing God face to face? (laughs) Well, I'm tempted to stop there. That's the first section of our scripture passage for today. There's a second section, second section, which gives us a closer look, though. It gives us a sample of one of these conversations. It shows us some of the implications of friendship with God. So the first section describes what's happening generally with this whole tent business, and the second provides us with a sample of one of these conversations between Moses and God. And this conversation, uh, as as I'm trying to argue, is the type of conversation that any one of us could have with God as we learn to become God's friends. So Moses says this to the Lord, verse 12. Moses says to the Lord, See, you have said to me, bring up this people. Or some translations say, lead forward this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said... I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. The Lord said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to the Lord, If your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? And this way we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. There's a popular leadership mantra that says, It's lonely at the top. Ever heard that? It's lonely at the top. Moses is at the top. Literally, he's at the top of a mountain for 40 days. But figuratively, too, Moses is at the top. He's the top leader of the nation of Israel, a nation which is about two million strong at this time. So in one of these conversations with his divine friend, Moses asks God, for a human friend. Look, God, you've, you've told me to lead the people to the promised land, the land flowing with peanut butter and chocolate, milk and honey, a place where they were anticipating, longing to go. You've told me that I'm to lead them there, but you've not yet told me who's going to be my, by my side, who's going to be my fellow leader, my colleague, so Moses asks God to send someone. Now, recall earlier in the Exodus story, before, before uh, God's people were rescued from slavery, Moses k- offers the same sort, of repl- same sort of request, and God sends him who? God sends him a guy named Aaron, okay? So what about Aaron? Well, last week, Aaron proved himself untrustworthy, didn't he? Last week was the, the story with the golden calf and the people, uh, Moses was taking too long at the top of the mountain. The people get anxious and so they, they call on Aaron to, to throw the, their gold that they robbed from the Egyptians, to throw it in a pile and create an, a, an idol and out comes a calf. So Aaron has proved himself untrustworthy. Moses knows he's going to need someone else by his side if he's going to lead this stiff-necked people to the promised land. So Moses asks God for help, as real friends do from time to time. He asks God for help. Before we hear God's response, though, Moses reminds God what he's already been told, and and the reader gets some insight into this. God has already assured Moses this, I know you by name, and I think highly of you or I have found favor in your sight. I wonder wonder how your demeanor might change. As you go throughout your week, the various things you do, the roles and responsibilities you have at work, with your family, at your house, at your apartment, how would your demeanor change if you were assured by God these words, I know you by name, And I think highly of you. This is precisely the sort of thing God's friends hear when they take the time to nurture their friendship. May you hear it too. I know you by name, and I think highly of you, God says to you, his friend. Then Moses makes another request. He's yet to receive the first God's response from the first, but then he makes another request. Verse 13. Now, if you do think highly of me, show me your ways so that I might know you and so that you may really approve of me. And that's a prayer for our lips as well. Holy divine friend, show me your ways. Show me your ways. Why? So that I may know you. Notice what Moses does not say. This is important. Moses does not say, show me your ways so that I can wrap up this business deal and make a lot of money. (laughs) Moses does not say, show me your ways so, so that I can get ahead of the pack in the rat race of life. Moses does not say, show me your ways so that I can think of myself as religiously superior to others on account of my special knowledge. No. None of these are prayers God is interested in answering. But here's a prayer God will answer every time Show me your ways so that I may know you. The Hebrew word for know is the word yada. Say that after me yada. It doesn't mean know about. Moses does not merely want to know about. God. He is not seeking religious knowledge. Rather, he is seeking a deeper friendship with God. As scholar Mark Scarlatta writes, the Hebrew root yada no, conveys an experiential knowledge that involves the whole of a person an experiential knowledge that involves the whole of a person. He goes on, The verb is often used in the Old Testament to describe sexual intercourse and expresses the physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy experienced in a relationship of mutuality and love. Moses' desire to know Yahweh is a request to experience the fullness of his divine being and all aspects of his being. Show me your ways so that I may know you, so that I may experience you as you really are. And God responds. And that's what friendship with God entails. We talk together, and sometimes we ask for help, and God responds friendship. Verse 14, the Lord said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. God, who will you send to go with me, Moses asked. My presence will go with you. I myself will go with you, is what that means, and I will give you rest. Just to finish here, I just want to say one last thing. I get this sense that somebody here really needs to hear this word from God. I mean, I mean, really desperately needs to hear this word from God. So hear it. God, your friend, says to you, I myself will go with you, and I will give you rest. God, I'm so overwhelmed. I can't do this on my own. Who will you send to go with me? I myself will go with you and I will give you rest. God, I can't handle this life transition on my own. So much uncertainty and fear. What am I going to do? And God says, I myself will go with you and I will give you rest. God, I'm fighting cancer here. God, I'm walking with a family member who's depressed and struggling. And I don't know how we're going to get through it. Is this the end? To which God responds, I myself will go with you and I will give you rest. Amen? May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three-in-one divine mystery who calls us his friends. Amen.